And we are live. Hello, everyone. We're back. We're here for another episode of Physical Therapy Soaps. SOAP stands for Subjective, Objective, Assessment, and Plan. My name is Michael. Hey, everyone. It's Maria. Guys, we're here to have another fun talk about another case that we have. Maria, you wanted to present something regarding back pain, lower back pain today, right? That's right. Give us a skinny. What's going on? Well, today's soaps, um, it includes a male in his late 40s. He uh, is a plumber by trade. He is unsure of the cause of his injury. Uh, his chief complaint coming in today uh, slash challenge is approximately two weeks ago. He was struck, um, I'm sorry, stuck under a sink for about two hours and he was crouched in a squatting, squatting position. His pain is worse in the morning with ridiculous symptoms that travel down the right side of his leg. Um, and he demonstrated like, painting that pattern for me in an L5 myotome. My special tests that I used were the standing positions, uh, increasing pain with flexion. His seated slump test uh, on the right side was positive. His uh, supine single leg raise was negative. And his reflexes for both patellar tendon and plantar flexion was also negative as well. I'm sorry, normal. Um, my just observation for him is he's overweight. I reviewed with him differential diagnosis that include no changes with his bowel or bladder. Good. No um, MRI at this time. An additional assessment of his range of motion included hamstring length was lacking full extension. His hip range of motion, um, internal and external, was also limited. And his back range of motion, um, flexion, and extension was both limited by 25%. Um, at this point, at the end of my uh, initial eval, I provided him with education on possible disc involvement and what happens and some of the signs and symptoms that make me feel like that was his diagnosis. Um, how He may benefit from an MRI, but I also think at this point that we can try some interventions, um, flexibility, strengthening his core, and then continue to reassess he also tolerated positional relief um, laying on his stomach. So with his return, his uh, soap for his visit today, he said that he had decreased pain, but his back felt really weak. Objectively, I reviewed all of his previous home exercises and progressed from there with core strengthening and back extension strengthening. Um, I reassessed his seated slump test um, and there was uh, still positive signs. My assessment at this time and plan was to continue with core activation and progress his home program to his tolerance. Um, we removed his pillow under while he was in a prone position to facilitate further prone lying. Um, also, education on ergonomics. Excellent. That sounds wonderful. When I think of back pain, I think of a couple different things, right? Because we can categorize them. We can have back pain that's mechanical in nature. It could be neurogenic or discogenic. Those are usually the top three that you see in the clinic. From your assessment, do you, you said you were leaning more towards a disc involvement. How do you come to that determination? Your special tests, you mentioned a couple of them. What is the sensitivity, special uh, sensitivity, specificity, and can you hang your hand on that? Well, I do think that his symptoms were discogenic. 
The way that I confirmed that was by using the slump test and the single leg race uh, in supine. So with the seated slump test, that has a sensitivity of 82%. The supine single leg raise is 75% also. So, you know, we're not sure if maybe his single leg raise was more of like neurotension, mm -hmm. but I think with having the slump test, it helped confirm that it was possibly discogenic. Additionally, I like to use some uh, like questions or pearl questions to say, this sounds like I'm going down the path of a disc versus maybe something else that's like mechanical or muscular. Uh, one of the things that he told me was his pain was worse in the morning. Um, and I relate that to, you know, basically the disc itself. It retains water at night. Um, you're actually at your tallest point in the morning. And if that disc does have any bulge, um, coming from it that it can irritate the surrounding nerves that extend from it below that segment because he reported a painful pattern it made me think okay he definitely has some signs and symptoms that were possibly a disc i'm i'm glad you touched on that because usually when we get out of bed we just pop out of bed right we don't necessarily implement what we teach here in the clinic which is a log roll method right which can minimize any of the any of the posterior lateral bulging, which is where you typically see a bulge if there is a disc or herniation issue, right? Right. So learning the log roll technique is really important. But I also think, and this is a great topic too, is uh, TA or lower abdominal activation to just take that pressure off of the back. Because I think people have um, mixed education on, or just understanding on how to engage your abdominals. Mm -hmm. They either think they need to hold their breath to engage, and that doesn't necessarily provide um, core activation. That's more for like bowel or bladder issues. It would really be to, you want to brace your core to make it strong enough and to support your low back to enable that turning supine to sit and transferring out of bed in the morning. Um, if not, increasing that friction with twisting, really the lumbar spine should not be twisting, mm -hmm. um, you know, minimal twist. But if there is a lot of repetitiveness through it, then you're just adding more insult to injury. No, I, I completely agree. I, I want to just rewind and focus on one thing that you said there. We want to activate that transverse abdominis or TA. Mm-hmm. And you said many people don't know how to engage that or even turn it on because there's just that lack of awareness of how to engage that muscle. Right. So I think... How do you engage it? That's a good question because it's been a topic, I think, on how we instruct patients mm -hmm. to identify their core. We can use different biofeedbacks like a pressure cuff or a blood pressure cuff or even just getting your hands on the patient. I think that's another big thing that we mm -hmm. don't do enough of is to really make sure that the patient can identify if we feel they're engaging it, can they feel that they're engaging it, and then can they maintain that with activities. So what I like to do is I have a patient lay supine and I have them bend their knees so they're in a hook lining position. Mm -hmm. um, that way too, I'm working with their shorter levers and their shorter levers are key to initiating more of like intrinsic activation of their core muscles. And then I usually will find their ASIS and just fold my hands 
anterior posterior kind of like um, just scooping into their um, ilium and then I'll say okay pull your belly button back towards your spine or like you're trying to fit into a tight pair of jeans that you've got to zip up think about drawing that navel up and back and usually at that point patients can feel those that sensation that cueing I think that's another strong quality with therapy that over time you can identify words that are useful at cueing patients so then it's not so wordy do you ever go beyond the words i know we're talking about verbal cueing do you ever do tactile cueing where they actually do the cueing themselves as opposed to you going i'm going to put my fingers here i do tactile i do visual i do you're including all the yeah, senses in I order to get what they need as much as possible to see mm-hmm. And accommodate what they need to engage that activation. Um, but from there, like working in a hook lining position, I try and extend into more of a longer lever by doing maybe some leg fallouts to the side, some um, heel slides, heel slides with the leg lift. And then I think one of the next big things is to work on standing activation because that's different. It's very different. So you're, you're outlining one, how do I engage these? How do I make that mind muscle connection through progressions? That's what you're doing. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Do you always start that way where you start lying on your back supine and then moving to a standing position? Well, the first thing that I have to think about too is first of all, my time with the patient. Mm -hmm. Um, How can I give them the steps to maybe do this at home? But I also know that we need to work from the foundation and then work up because if in standing, they're perfectly fine. They've got it. They're strong. You know, this guy is a plumber. I think he's very physically strong, but can his small intrinsic muscles are they really helping? Um, is he substituting? I think that helps us get to the root of it. Mm-hmm. If I just jumped right to the finish line, I don't think I would be doing him enough justice. We talked a little bit about the hamstring length. Mm-hmm. How important is hamstring length and what is its link to lower back pain, especially if it's discogenic? Well, with his hamstring tightness, so my assessment on how I measure I have the patient lay in supine and I have them go into a knee flex position. I'm sorry, hip flexion to 90 degrees. And then from there, I put my goniometer, the axis through the knee joint, and then have the patient extend their knee. So what I'm doing is I'm measuring the true length of their hamstring and Mm -hmm. how far that they can fully extend it. I'm basically looking for a straight leg. And there I can also see if they're substituting with increased uh, posterior pelvic tilt. Mm -hmm. Um, I can also see if there's um, tension in the hamstring where they will be lacking full range of motion. Um, And then from there, it's going to be an exercise right away. So I love to assess and then I love to teach right there and say this is going to be part of your home program so they, they can identify it. But additionally, for patient education, I'm explaining why that's so important. So your hamstring um, attachments are right on your sacral sit bones. And if they're tight, they're pulling in the patient into a posterior pelvic tilt. So even something that I probably left out on the beginning assessment was, did I check to see how much lordosis he had in his back or lack of? Mm-hmm. Because even that posterior pelvic tilt can take away um, his um, lumbar lordosis 
uh, as well. Guys, I think that's an incredibly important part because when you do look at the hamstrings, right? There's four hamstring muscles. We're looking at the ones on the outside of the leg. That would be your biceps femoris. And there's two heads. The longest one, the long head, is going to attach to that ischial tuberosity on the outside. And that has an indirect attachment through the sacrotuberous ligament, which attaches to that left ilium or left elephant looking muscle or bone, excuse me. Mm -hmm. And if that's too tight, it will prevent that rotation that you need during the walking cycle. So it will put you in that posterior pelvic tilt that you were mentioning. I guess what I want to know is how do you know if it's a mobility issue versus just a simple symptom of lower back pain? Because the back is hurting, it's being overworked, and now the hamstrings are trying to support the area by giving added stability because it's lacking in the lower back. How do you differentiate that? Well, I think that's the nice thing about having follow-up visits mm. is, you know, this mm -hmm. is going to be a constant soap that we're going to have to follow and continue to reassess. Because 100%. I think if um, the disc is talking to him now, then maybe he had mechanical changes before mm -hmm. or positional you know, changes as well that facilitated this disc involvement. I mean, he, if he's crouched underneath one sink for that many hours, how many sinks does he go under or manipulate to, to really facilitate many. lever? Like many. Many. So, yeah, I mean, what came first, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. As how do, long how do you as know? his like, symptoms are um, managed, then, all right, now we've got to get into body mechanics mm -hmm. and how to encourage safe body mechanics and reduce injury. But also one of the things, and this is a hard subject, is to talk about weight management. You said he was overweight. His BMI, did you happen to get his BMI? I don't have it listed, but I think either I didn't have it recorded or I felt like it was enough of an issue that he needed to find out his mm -hmm. BMI, mm -hmm. whether it was from his primary, um, just for his height and... Uh, his body composition, it would be beneficial for him to at least have that assessment so that we can further discuss, you know, how can changing lifestyles help with either taking pressure off the joints, um, but also preventing further comorbidities. Absolutely. Too. Did you have that conversation briefly with him? Did you have an opportunity or is that something you're going to speak to him later on down the road? You know, I think with all of my back patients, that's one of the topics I bring up is, do you feel like you're overweight? Or if it is something that they've brought up, okay, well, what's your plan mm -hmm. for managing your weight? Um, who are you talking to? Do you talk to a nutritionist? What's your pr primary care doing for you? Um, maybe anything that I can um, help to facilitate the need for further assessment. Excellent. Let's say you're getting ready to wrap up this treatment. Do you give them any other resources that might help them beyond what you do in the clinic in that moment? Any other resources? So I think for this gentleman, it's still his first visit, but mm -hmm. some of my initial long-term conversations may include what's the plan to continue these exercises on your own, whether it is going to the gym or creating a home program or gym at home, which is kind of becoming more common. Don't you think more people are creating um, gyms at home, whether mm -hmm. because of COVID or because now they just don't have enough of that time to get to the gym. I do. Um, or they've got like other family members that are engaged as well. I'm finding a lot of power lifters are going to doing home gyms. But 
you know, that's a big thing is what's going to be the plan? Because unfortunately, like I'd love to see everyone forever, but I can't. And we need to make sure that that patient um, is independent, that they're willing and accepting what this diagnosis is and what their plan will be. Mm -hmm. You know, off uh, the podcast, we talked a little bit about a few different things, right? We were brainstorming and Mm -hmm. thinking about different talking points. I think you had brought up the idea of clinical practice guidelines that are supported by the APTA, but also developed by the APTA. Is there anything that you want to mention in regards to that and how to treat someone? Yes. So I think a lot of the design of my flow for this initial eval, it does draw from my clinical practice guidelines. It's something that I didn't utilize as much as a student. I think just because I had like loads of other things going Mm -hmm. on and I didn't know how to utilize it. But then now having students as a clinical instructor and referencing that to come up with plans and treatments, um, some of the things that I reference and just with my initial eval we're using the slump test or the single leg raise or um, checking the core um, and also checking flexibility Um, i'd have to say that i was uh, pretty happy with myself i I thought i was on point um, (laughs) with all the things that they had mentioned as well as how i performed so kudos so (laughs) (laughs) i think um i think you're doing an excellent job i like what you said there that you have the guidelines, right? And that's exactly what they are. They're guidelines to kind of keep you within a given space, your lane, right? Mm-hmm. But through experience and time, mentorship, you're going to develop and you're gonna, you're just going to have a better system. And I think that's what this is all about. Exactly. I mean, this is just one way of having some support to initiate. I think with the knowledge that we have from school and also our clinical experience, more comes, right? And you Mm -hmm. want to try some things, but you know that you can always go back to your foundations. I think at the end of the day, your best teacher is going to be that person in front of you. Your patient is teaching you what you need to know and where you need to go. And it is, it's always going to be asking the patient. Um, I think another pearl that I use is, are things feeling worse, better, or the same? Mm -hmm. Um, Of course, that pain in and pain out, but you know, that's a subjective comment from a patient. But I do think um, test and retest is also important as well. Maria, I think this was an excellent talk. Thank you for bringing this up. We could talk for days, I think, about just discogenic pain. I think we should revisit some of these topics later on at a different time. Is there anything that you'd like to see? core activation. Oh, yeah. Um, That's. I think we agree on many different points. Uh On many points. We have a lot of commonalities. There are some things that I think we see things a little differently. And that's okay. And guys, I think that's really important to highlight is just because Maria does it this way, or I do it my way, doesn't mean it's the right way necessarily, because we have to consider the best evidence available, that person's beliefs and desires in front of you, and then your clinical experience. All those need to come together. There's many different ways to get to wherever you're going. Mm -hmm. It isn't just one direct path. And I think that's really important to understand, highlight, and revisit often. Exactly. Maria, thank you so much. This was wonderful. Thank you for uh, that wonderful soap note. And I'm anxious to see if he gets better. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds good. Hey, take care, guys. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye.